that, let's just cue up the music. It's So It's a Show, starring Kyla Carnero and Taylor Blake, also featuring Ronnie Howard. <laughs> what if we just had this music open us up every week? Um, I think it'd be a little confusing for what's about to happen. Well, and I'm pretty sure there's a lawsuit going on right now about who gets money based off of this theme song. Apparently, oh, CBS really? isn't paying whom they're supposed to. So, Uh-oh. let's not do that. But no, I think we're not. good to go for about five seconds on our podcast. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Let's oh, whew, hope we don't get any email soon from CBS. That's not the kind <laughs> of email I'm looking for. No. How are you doing today? Huh. <sighs> Doing well, ready to talk about a small town while I'm living in my own small town. While we talk about two shows set in small towns? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't say, but for many of you who have listened already, you know, we're a podcast attempting to keep up with Lorelai and Rory's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. We're going to stay in our regular small town, the small town we all know and love so well. For a little uh, herd around the gazebo gossip. What? So, Taylor, there are plenty of characters in Gilmore Girls and other shows, and the show we're about to talk about later, that have all these little characters that kind of pop in, and then they're suddenly gone, and you're like, what's up with them? What's their real story? And sometimes those characters become, who were never meant to be, their reoccurring character end up coming back, which is kind of fun. Like on Jane the Virgin, they were supposed to kill off Michael like right away, but everyone loved him, so he stayed on. So, who is a character in Gilmore Girls who you're like, I wish I knew a little more? There is one that gets name-dropped, but we never see. One East Side Tilly. Oh, yeah! There is mention of an East Side Tilly who always has the hot gossip, and Babette is in competition for who has the hot gossip first, whether it's her or Eastside Tilly. And we never meet this person. We do meet a young soccer player on the team that Luke sponsors named Tilly. But she's about 10 years old. <laughs> and while what I if lo- that was Eastside Tilly? I know. Like, how amazing <laughs> would it be if Babette was in competition with a 10-year-old girl for who has hot gossip on Stars Hollow? But I'm pretty sure it's not meant to be her. Yeah, probably not. No. So Eastside Tilly, what's up with her? Yeah, but you know, Gilmore Girls, Amy Sherman-Palladino loves to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. Mr. Kim, we see in A Year in the Life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been noticing more and more, I just was watching some episodes from season one recently, and they mentioned Mr. Kim a lot actually like oh my friend lane her parents own when she's telling her her grandma about kim's antiques oh yeah my friend Mm -hmm. lane her parents own it so like clearly he's around but you know that's after several episodes into season one Mm -hmm. so it is odd that they name drop but you never meet some of those characters it is true so for you is it mr kim You know, it's actually not. For me, it's a character that you see plenty, but I feel like I just don't know enough about, and that is Maury, Babette's husband. Oh, that's true. Because he has this musical background, and he plays, you know, jazz piano and things like that, but he, we don't really know, like, where he came from, how he and Babette met, how they end up in Stars Hollow. I like to think that Maury was the person who helped restore Babette after she got out of that cult. Hmm. That's, she mentions one time being in a yeah. cult. And I want to know more about that. Perhaps his music saved her. Yes, I love this idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's canon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Done. I was in a cult once, did I tell you that? No. I met this guy once, gorgeous, tan, 
looked just like Mickey Hargitay. We had coffee. He gave me a pamphlet. Next thing you know, I'm wearing a momo, playing a tambourine, jumping up and down at the airport. Well, the reason we are talking about characters we want to know more about today is because we are talking about another small town full of a lot of colorful characters, even when they're in black and white. <laughs> uh, that got me. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Oh, that's good. But first, let's talk about the episode of Gilmore Girls we're talking about today. It is Gilmore Girls episode 312, Lorelai Out of Water. Hmm. Because normally in all the other episodes, Lorelai is definitely in water. So this is a real odd one. Yeah, I think this is probably why this is one of the most memorable episodes of the series. To finally see <laughs> Lorelai get her human legs and leave those gills behind. Exactly. <laughs> However, they somehow failed to mention that in the IMDb plot summary. This episode aired on January 28th, 2003, and the plot summary is, Lorelai and Rory clean out the garage so Lane's band can use it for practice. Oh, hug a world. <laughs> Luke and lawyers don't mix, except for maybe Taylor's new attorney. Paris tries to impeach Rory during the student council <laughs> meeting, which gets them both sent to the headmaster's office. Lane's prom plans backfire. Oh, poor Lane. This was written very incohesively. It was just like, this happened, this happened, this happened. But it... it More accurate not. than some of them, except for grammar. I have fixed a few things, and you can't see all the missing apostrophes. Oh, thank you. Sad day. But I do... <laughs> I like that they dedicated an entire sentence to Rory and Lorelai cleaning out their garage like that needs to be mentioned <laughs> yes because boy hug a world what a stuffed planet uh... however as one who is packing up and moving a lot of boxes right now i really feel them and can't imagine what it was like to have to clean out that garage yeah at least you don't have rats in any of your stuff as far as we know bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> thread we are going to be talking about today though is the one about Paris and Rory because apparently that's all we talk about on this show. <laughs> yes, why can't we get away from these arguments? It's because they're so witty during their arguments. I think so. I think we are eventually going to have to change our tagline we say at the beginning. A podcast where we attempt to keep up with Paris and Francie's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yes. But here is the conversation that Paris and Rory have right before they go see Headmaster Charleston. So what this time? Trying to have me deported? Oh, yeah, like I'm the one who called this meeting. I certainly didn't call this meeting. Save the act for Sundance, you little snitch. I didn't snitch, said the weak-kneed turncoat. Nixon's bad seed, daughter of Judas. Ladies, come in, please. Kyla, what the heck were you thinking about when you heard these little snips and snaps at each other? Well, I I don't even know if I knew what Sundance was at the time, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe I did by then. So there's that. Weak need turncoat? No idea. Nixon's bad seed? I don't know. President Nixon? Daughter of Judas? Well, that I get biblical. Good old biblical humor in at Chilton, <laughs> calling <laughs> Rory Mary and yeah, they do have uh, a lot of references there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? I think I was at about the same place. I did know what Sundance was because I went to Sundance Film Festival <gasps> in college. Ayo. We'll have to talk more about that sometime. And I think of the three jabs they throw at each other, because full disclosure, when we were planning this episode, we thought we were going to be talking about more than we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Of those three, I didn't really know what any of them meant, other than I know who Nixon and Judas are, and that they're both people who betray either the American people or Jesus, <laughs> depending on who they are. And I think of those three, I thought those were going to have way more to them. 
than the weak need turncoat. I honestly just thought that was a weird turn of phrase. Yeah. So Nixon's bad seed, we, it looked like it could have been more, you know, who was Nixon's bad seed? Mm-hmm. Now, when you type into Google Nixon's bad seed, you get lots of links for one Patty McCormick, who is an actress. But it's because when you fully inspect why this is coming up, she was in a movie called The Bad Seed. And she was in the movie Frost Nixon from 2008. Which is a good movie, by the way. Oh, good to know. She, however, is not Nixon's bad seed. (laughs) It's just Google search results. So, turned out, it's just, you know, the phrase, a bad seed. And so, Nixon's bad seed, which, you know, we can fully talk about at the end. But yeah, thought there was going to be more to it. Like, who's this Patty McCormick? No, Mm -hmm. just Google. And if you Google Daughter of Judas... There are things that show up, but nothing that seems either culturally significant enough that you think Amy Sherman Palladino might reference this. She definitely gets obscure. So does Mm -hmm. Daniel Palladino and the other writers. They all get pretty obscure, but they're usually connected to something culturally significant in some way, which is really what we're going to talk about today. And so some random 1890s novel... Probably not <laughs> what they're actually thinking of when they say this. No, I don't see Amy Sherman Palladino as someone who reads novels from the 1890s just because I think she'd rather be entertained than than read some, I don't know, book that's out of date like she keeps up with, with the times. Who's to say, though? She surprises us sometimes. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> So to our surprise, the pop culture reference in here that we're talking about today is one weak need turncoat. Have you ever heard this phrase before? No. I mean, weak, it has the word weak in there, but weak need turncoat, I mean, no. It's not something I used to insult people regularly. Yeah. I mean, it was Paul Revere who said, the turncoats are coming, the turncoats are coming, right? No? Oh, no. redcoats, sorry. Okay, so no, I definitely <laughs> don't know what it is. <laughs> but turns out it comes from a Annie Griffiths show. What? Which, who would think that when we're talking about insults, we're going to turn to the most wholesome of all wholesome shows, the Andy Griffiths show. <laughs> The show that's so wholesome, it kind of makes you uncomfortable. (laughs) Had you ever watched the Andy Griffith show before, Kyla? In passing? Like someone else had it on at someone else's house. It was just really boring to me. Because people just casually have Andy Griffith on in the background? Yes, a childhood friend, his dad, would have Andy Griffith show on quite a bit. Is there someone in your life who likes to play the Annie Griffith show, Taylor? What's been your experience with it? <laughs> well, while I did not specifically ever remember hearing this reference, your friend's dad and my dad should go bowling sometime. <laughs> we have to give a special shout out to my dad in the episode. Honestly, we should just go ahead and dedicate it to him. because this man loves the Andy Griffith show and I have many childhood memories of being encouraged aka forced to watch the Andy Griffith show on (laughs) vacation road trips with the family I cannot tell you how many times and maybe the number's not really that high but it feels inflated because I was a kid where we would be on a road trip, and before we could watch the movie we wanted to watch in our little Honda Odyssey with the flip-down DVD player screen behind the driver's seats, we had to watch an episode of the Andy Griffith Show, or two, (laughs) or three, and my dad listening to it while driving, just laughing at Barney Fife. Oh, my word. I remember one time we stopped, I think, at a Walmart, on a road trip and he found a season of Andy Griffith DVDs and it was the worst because we had to watch Andy Griffith. Now, as an adult going back to the show, 
This is a solid classic television show. But as a kid, it was a little bit of a kid-level nightmare. Yeah. To be forced to watch something over and over and over again in black Especially and white. Especially when, it, yeah, that's what I was say. The black and white, I just, as a kid, could not be entertained. Yeah, it was challenging. When I got a little older, I discovered things like, I love Lucy. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And now you know me and my Turner Classic movies. I love it. But at the time, I was not there yet. No. And frankly, what happens in the Andy Griffith show is not exciting. They're life lessons. <laughs> but again, I have not watched much Andy Griffith. That is for certain. But when I have, it's just like, oh, they're fishing. <laughs> Neat. You're not wrong. <laughs> I Love Lucy, though. I liked that. I think, I don't know what age I was where I discovered that. So, but very different. Very different. Both black and white, but very different shows. Much zanier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you should probably know, beautiful listeners, this is not the only Andy Griffith reference on our show. And by our show, in this instance, I mean Gilmore Girls. Because I feel (laughs) a little bit of ownership in the fact that it's my favorite show. Mm Mm-hmm. Here is a little rundown of all the places the Andy Griffith show shows up. Do you think he's dated anyone since Rachel? I don't know. Where would he meet anyone? He's either here or in his apartment. Mm. Maybe he has a secret life. Maybe he's got a little chippy stowed away in Mount Pilot. Well, we'll know eventually. No one told me it was casual Friday. Hello, everyone. You haven't started? Of course we haven't started. We were waiting for you. I thought you were almost done. Well, I was, but this car has a mind of its own. As I turned to leave, it began spraying some sort of green solution at me. Yuck. Yuck, indeed. Well, go on, start. No sense in waiting for me. Coolness, stop. Gomer said. I didn't start this. Well, you started it when you wrecked Rory's car. Tell your friend to walk it off. You walk it off. I'm trying to drive off. Then go. Jeez, how Andy Griffiths is this talent people get so excited by a car? Digger Styles. What did he want? To talk to you. I have nothing to say to him. He might have something interesting to tell you. What? That the turncoat company I used to work for is cutting my pension? That the stock they gave me when they unceremoniously forced me out has been rescinded? Officer Ruskin, what took you so long? I called you hours ago. Well, I'm here now, Taylor. What do you need? Handcuff these ruffians and take them away. In what? In your car. Well, I came on my bike. Why? Ah, Fred took the car, plus my handcuffs are broken. Well, then find an appropriate vehicle to haul them away. My sister has an SUV, uh, but she's out of town, though. Well, then line them up and have them follow you to jail. I could do that. Uh, But it's a single cell, though. It holds two, maybe three if they're not fat. And we don't have any food. Oh, forget it, Barney Fife. Well, my brother has a pinto. We had a long debate about Andy Griffith, alive or dead. Then we finished off the finger sandwiches. Trout. Hey! Oh, they're so cute! Hello! Hi, boys! I look, they're all like they're singing a little trout choir. I wouldn't get too attached. Hi, Gomer. There you go. Oh, don't be scared, Pinky. And now there's Pinky. Now, funnily enough, one of these references is also in the episode we're talking about today. Oh. (laughs) When Lorelai names one of her fish Gomer. (laughs) Nice. But we'll get to Gomer in a little bit. But is there no Pinky in Andy Griffith's show? Not that I could find. But (laughs) feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. The Andy Griffith Show was a TV show that ran on CBS for eight seasons and 249 episodes. Dang. 1960 to 1968. It won six Emmys, and five of those were for the same person, Don Knotts, who played Barney Fife. Wow. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor. And Aunt B, a.k.a. Frances Bavier, or Bavier, she won for Best Supporting Actress one year. And this cracked me up. It was also nominated for Best Comedy Series three times. But the way they named that category was very different in the early 60s. Hmm. <laughs> it was called Outstanding Program Achievement in the Field of Humor. also known as best comedy yeah i'm glad they've shortened that yeah and just to get a little overview of the show it is about a sheriff named andy taylor who is a widow and his son opie 
and they live <laughs> with Aunt B in Mayberry, North Carolina. And IMDb says it this way, with virtually no crimes to solve, most of Andy's time <laughs> is spent philosophizing and calming down his cousin, Deputy Barney Fife. Oh my. That is such that, and I think that gives a clear picture into what this show is like. There's no crimes to solve, but it centers mm. around a town sheriff. And there are some fun connections with people on this show to some of the other shows we've discussed. Ron Howard, who plays Opie and was so cute back in the day. <laughs> He's also a big-time director now. Mm-hmm. And he went on to be in Happy Days, which I discussed with my mom oh. in an episode last season. And also Barbara Eden guest starred one time, who played oh. Jeannie of I Dream of Jeannie. Nice. And a character we're going to be referencing today, Ellie Walker, played by Eleanor Donahue. She was on an episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1990. Uh, yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Griffith was actually a spinoff of the Danny Thomas show, which started in 1953, and then went on to spin off two more shows from Andy Griffith called Mayberry RFD. Which sounds like it's basically the same show, except without Andy and Opie, mm-hmm. which is kind of the heart of the show, so unclear how that worked exactly. <laughs> and Gomer Pyle, USMC, which was about <laughs> Gomer, played by Jim Neighbors, going into the Marines. Oh, wow. There... Uh, what is it with all these shows back in the day just being called by the person's name? The Annie Griffith Show, the Mary Tyler Moore Show... I mean, we still do it somewhat today. Seinfeld, do we? for example. Oh. They did the Cosby show in the 80s. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's still around today. We just don't hear it as much for sure. Like a couple years ago, Mulaney tried to do his own show and named it after himself, but that was also kind of a bomb. So hmm. I don't know if that's the best example or not. Side note. <laughs> And like some of the other shows we've talked about, Return to Mayberry was a reunion movie. Remember when we talked about Gilligan's Island and all those reunion movies? Yep. That came out in 1986. And, fun fact, Andy Griffith went on to star in Matlock, which was a detective show in the Ah. 80s and 90s. And Don Knotts, who played Barney, guest starred 17 times on that show wow okay i loved matlock i still if that really? comes on yeah if i'm like at a hotel and that comes on the tv i'm all about it i have never watched it <gasps> oh you should definitely try it okay who knows maybe that'll be an episode one day where you're schooling me there we go about something in black what was matlock in black and white i feel like uh, well, it was in the 80s and 90s, so I'd be a little oh. surprised. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just view everything that's, like, not from the 90s and beyond. Oh, it must have been black and white. <laughs> what a millennial. This came out last year, and it was in color? <laughs> what? <I> see. <laughs> Trying to describe the Andy Griffith show, as we have said, is a little tricky because there's not a lot that happens. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of characters playing off of each other back and forth. And Mm -hmm. I will say going back now as an adult watching some of these episodes, I got a kick out of them more than I did as a kid when I wasn't being forced to watch them. My dad and I watched them the other night. He was still laughing his head off at Barney Fife. (laughs) In one of the episodes we watched, (laughs) there is a bank in town and They just have drawers of cash. Well, get ready. Barney Fife has just gone to see a movie where there was a bank robbery. And so all of a sudden he's hung up on the fact that their security is really lax at the bank. And he's not wrong. There are literally drawers of cash just open (laughs) at all times as he walks in. The security guard, who is 80-something years old, (laughs) his gun is too rusted for it to shoot, and he's literally taking a nap on the job. So his concern 
is valid in the sense that, yes, security is terrible. However, it's Mayberry, and so there's really nothing to be concerned about. So he tries to decide that he's going to prove how lax the security is, and he dresses up as a cleaning lady to get in. <laughs> and, of course, everyone knows who it is, and so they're just like, we'll just humor him. He, I think he's trying to prove how easy it is to rob our bank. And he ends up locking himself in the safe. And Aww. somehow the safe goes up against a drywall wall in another business next door. So that's how he gets himself out. But they don't know that. So they call a locksmith to get him out. One of those people is Gomer, which is his first <laughs> introduction in the show. Oh, okay. But there are some other guys who are from out of town. And because... Barney is talking about how lax the security is there. They realize it would be really easy to rob this bank. And so <laughs> hijinks ensue. They are caught. But it's funny because Barney is the one who created this bank robbery in the first place because <laughs> he was trying to prevent a bank robbery. Aww. And there's just it's humorous antics like that that go all over the town and it's easygoing Sheriff Andy Taylor trying to rein Barney in. He doesn't let him carry a gun with a bullet in it. Barney <laughs> is allowed to have one bullet that he keeps in his shirt pocket should he need to use it. <laughs> and so a lot of this is just trying to rein Barney back in. Teach Opie some life lessons. Enjoy Teach Aunt Opie B's so cooking. so many lessons. <laughs> and, you know, Andy goes on some dates now and then with people like Ellie. Ooh. And there are little town events. Sound familiar? Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Funny how that works. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot of episodes of The Andy Griffith Show. Yeah. And the characters, like, I could totally see someone, like, feeling connected to them, much like how we care about Miss Patty and Babette and mm -hmm. Tilly, even though we never meet her. You just can kind of fall in love if it just scratches that, that comedy and entertainment itch for you. Mm-hmm. And actually, get ready for this. <clears throat> Do you hear that? Is that real paper in a real book? Yes, ma'am. It is a real book. It is called TV the Book. <laughs> That's ironic. I know. I love this book. It is from two critics, Alan Seppenwall and Matt zoller Seitz. They are two really experienced critics. They're really good writers, good thinkers, and they put a show... I'm sorry. They put a book together about the best <laughs> shows of all time. And they have several shows we've talked about before on this list of their top 100. The Honeymooners, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and Gilmore Girls. Thank goodness. <gasps> oh, they're not idiots. I know. So we know their quality. But they also have the Andy Griffith Show in here. And I just recommend this book hands down. It is so well written and thoughtful. They find lots of good ways to incorporate other shows that maybe aren't top 100 but have left an impact in history. And mm -hmm. they talk about in their book how the Andy Griffith show really started because CBS wanted to make a buck off of people they thought of as country bumpkins, as they say. So they started doing all of these shows set in the South and set in the country because more people outside of the cities were starting to get TV sets. Hmm. So shows like Green Acres, the Beverly Hillbillies, they really kind of thought like, oh, these country bumpkin goofballs, like we got to make shows for them now. <laughs> and so they say these characters spoke with a lot of exaggerated drawls, fished and hee-hawed and smacked their knees and played banjo and smoked corn cob pipes and skinny dipped in swimming holes. <laughs> and it seemed a little more 1930s than 1960s. But they're saying Andy Griffith really is one of the best of these, partly because it really felt like a lot of these characters were real people and felt like a real place. 
And while it wasn't exactly lifelike, and you know, not a lot happens, one of the most important things that it contributed to this little subgenre of TV at the time is it gave a lot of dignity to these characters. Hmm. So they weren't dumb rednecks, they weren't cartoons, they weren't cliches, they were people. They were funny, not just because they didn't live in the city, but because they were real people, kind of like Mark Twain characters. And they had a lot to say in life lessons and, you know, just treating each other like people. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why it really had such an appeal. So I thought this was a really interesting way to say this was part of a trend at the time, but it was better because it wasn't what the trend was meant to be. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I mean, you have the characters like Gomer Pyle and... And Barney is, but he's not really funny because he's like a country bumpkin. But like Gomer is probably the epitome of that kind of stereotype of, um, but that's not how everyone is. That's not how the main characters are. Yeah. And Gomer even, you know, he's a blue collar guy. He works at the garage in town. There's another episode I watched where, he loses his job at the garage because he's spending so much time talking to the customers that he's Aww. holding up lines and not getting his work done. But then when he gets fired and he goes to live with Andy for a while because he lost, he lived at the garage too. <laughs> he, and he's driving Andy crazy because he's up all night. He's super loud. He's just not self-aware, but in a very, you know, kind way. He ends up getting all of the business on the side from the garage because they love Gomer so much. Uh. They keep coming to him Uh. to fix the car, not the garage. And so he gets rehired and he starts sleeping through the night again and everybody loves Gomer. So even though he's kind of a goofball, (laughs) he, you know, everybody loves him and he's an important part of the town. I mean, just think of Kirk when Kirk moved out of his mom's house without finding another place to stay they took turns all right who's taking kirk in (laughs) oh my gosh i was thinking of kirk as i was saying that but i did not even Mm -hmm. think about that time when he's sleeping in luke's boat in lorelei's garage yeah and yeah just moving him all around because you know that's that's what's cool about a community is taking care of each other and having you know people to fall back on and Mm-hmm. You love the goofballs. You need the goofballs. You do. Or life is boring. Mm-hmm. And Kirk, I would say, is the the Gomer of Stars Hollow. I would agree. <laughs> Come on, people. It's not that complicated. I don't want to be a burden. Patty, what about the couch you have in the back of the studio? In her freezing cold studio with no insulation and no heat. Sounds great. Hi. You know, there's an Hi. old What's happening? About... Problems with Kirk's schedule. Oh, can't Sheriff Taylor just let him share us all with Otis for the night? <laughs> well, maybe the Morrisons will take him again. Their kid stuck things in my nose. Well, then lock the door when you sleep. It wasn't while I was asleep. Hey, how did you drag Luke here? Oh, you wanted to come. I'll just sleep outside in the gazebo. I would ask, though, that if I die from exposure, don't just dump me in the landfill. No one's dumping you in a landfill, Kirk. It's against regulations. Well, should we get on to the episode that we need turncoat is from yes we should episode oh i didn't write down what episode 110 110 ellie for counsel yes in this episode ellie and andy who apparently have some are romantically entangled for a little bit i don't know they're going together mm, as you okay. might say gotcha and She notices that all the town council nominees, candidates, are men. She was like, why are they all men? And Andy's like, well, it's a council man after all. (laughs) And and so she decides to run. And, uh, of course, the guys were all up in uproar. She's Mm -hmm. like, what is this? A woman can't run. And then all the women were like, go, Ellie! And it just divided the town to the point where the wives and husbands were withholding things like money and cooking 
Mm-hmm. And what else was there? Was it just that? Well, they won't they won't let the women use the charge accounts at the stores. So there's mm-hmm. a little montage of women trying things on and then not paying for them. And then the women make the men do their own chores and they hilariously get just iron marks on their shirts. <laughs> they don't know how to sew on a button. Oh my gosh. Burning their breakfast. Mm-hmm. It's rough. And Ellie at the end is like, Well, I'm just I'm just gonna withdraw because can't have this whole town divided. Admirable. And then moment happens where Opie says, Yeah, we won, Dad, huh? We won. And it's like, yeah, but what did we really win? Oh, Ellie! Well, what are you doing in the enemy camp? I just came by to say you win. Huh? I'm withdrawing my name as candidate. How's that? Oh, Ellie, why? Oh, it just isn't worth it, Aunt B. I mean, you know the rally down at the hotel where the loyal opposition gathered to jeer and poke fun? Well, it's just not worth it. And, and you're going to quit? That's right. When I decided to run, I had no intention of starting a civil war at Mayberry. I happen to like it here too much. Does that mean we beat him, Paul? Oh, uh, yeah, I reckon it does, we Paul. We won. We beat them females. We kept them in their place. Oh, yeah, well, wait just a minute. Us many folks don't want women running our town, do we, Paul? <laughs> now, there's a fine example of raising a little boy. And so uh, he goes up up on stage and where they're having a little bit of a rally, I think. Mm-hmm. The women are saying, go Ellie, we want her. Yeah, and Ellie is about to withdraw her candidacy and Andy goes up and he says, you know, all of us men folk, we don't want Ellie for counsel because she's a woman. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, but can we, is there anything else? Any other reason why not? Uh, about that. And, <laughs> and so they realize, no, it's just about her gender. So I guess it's okay. And Which is a pretty radical transformation. Because these were the guys who were calling Barney Fife a weak-kneed turncoat, among other things, for saying he would vote for Ellie. Yeah. So here's a little bit of this conversation. Andy. Have you heard the news? My wife's all for this, and she ain't the only one. No telling where it's liable to end. It's liable to snowball clear out of control. This is the worst thing that ever happened to this town. It's Mayberry's darkest hour. Oh, now, fellas, it can't be that bad. Why would There you... he is. There's the weak-kneed, chicken-livered, yellow-streaked turncoat. Now, look, Sam, you got something to say. Say it. Now, now, boys, ain't no use to let your tempers fly. If Barney hadn't signed that petition, why, they'd have got their hundredth name someplace else. They ain't no use to come in here and chew him out. Thanks, Andy. It's okay, turncoat. <laughs> Forgetting Barney and getting back to the main problem. Now, we're laying this right at your door. Now, we ain't never had a woman run for office in Mayberry before. Now, what you gonna do about it? Yeah, you're friendly with her. Now, now just wait a minute. Now, Ellie's just running for council. Now, running is a long ways from winning. Don't be too sure, Andy. There are a lot of women voters in this town, just as many as there are men. Not to mention a few men that might even go over to their side. What man would vote for a woman? The same weak-kneed, chicken-livered, yellow-streaked turncoat that would sign a petition. I'm just waiting for you to go too far. Uh, I wish that Paris would have used all of those. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. I almost all right, started talking Barry. like... Uh, Andy Griffith uh-huh. there. Yeah, I think it is an interesting shortened version. I think we would have been tipped off to the fact that it was a pop culture reference right away if she had used the full-blown chicken-livered yellow something blah blah blah. Yeah. But no. I think so too. Just we need turncoat. Yeah. So a moment from this that actually just happened on Jane the Virgin. Why is everything connecting to Jane the Virgin today? Cuz that's our other show. <laughs> yeah, one of many. And, um, yeah, that connects is when Andy sees his son, like, yeah, Dad, we won. Us men won. 
And it seems like that kind of helps them realize, like, I don't really know if we're, if we're going about this the right way, is on Jane the Virgin, this past episode, at least from the time that we're recording, which this really isn't spoilers, so don't worry about that. But Jane's son, Mateo, sees her abuela's husband just, like, leave his plate at the table and not clean up after himself. And so Mateo is like, oh, well, I get to go and I don't have to clean up after myself. And Jane has to explain, you know, no, it's, and he's like, but he didn't. And he's a man, I'm a man, so I don't have to. And, and so she realizes, oh boy, this is like not setting a good example. And how can I adjust? And I kind of like that in shows, like when characters see through their children that who are just very simple minded in how they think things through. And that kind of helps you like the adults simplify, like, wait, what am I really doing? What am I really thinking and saying if this is what my child is then repeating? Oh, and that's a totally real thing in real life, too. So I think that's why it works so well. <laughs> Which I guess I don't have a, 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 any children. And so I don't have that. I haven't had that experience. No, but I think I, you know, and I don't have my own children either, but I've definitely seen that and how adults talk about their children. Like, oh, I realized mm. this because X, Y, Z, you know, yeah. because my child said this and I went, oh, no, I didn't realize I was sending that message or I didn't mm. ever think about it that way before. Yeah, I th agree. It's a good way to use that as a storytelling device. Yeah. So just made me think of that and how that just happened this past episode. So turncoat. That phrase, which I just kind of looked it up because in context, you can kind of see like it's an insult clearly, but where does it really come from? But it's about being a traitor, which, you know, was what they perceived that Barney was being when he supported a woman candidate. So I just kind of decided to go down a little rabbit hole, Taylor, of women oh, okay. in politics. But we're not a political show. Not at all, but we are very historical. Okay, fair. Proceed. <laughs> so, thank you. This episode came out in 1960. And here's one thing I didn't realize, which, I don't know, maybe call me a bad American woman. But I did <laughs> not realize that women actually were running for offices before women were even allowed to vote. I think I've heard a few fluke stories of women, <laughs> I shouldn't use that word, but you know what I mean, of the rare instance of a woman running for office before they had the vote, mm -hmm. and then not winning usually in the context of how I've heard it. Yeah, definitely winning was not something they did, but they did run for office before, women did run for office before the right to vote came, so thought that was rather interesting. <laughs> But PBS put together a brief history of women in American politics. And so I just have, here's a brief history, guys. And especially if this episode came out in 1960, women were running for office long before that. And the first councilwoman in, in, any, in a major city, so there might have been one before, but at least recorded from what I could find, was Luella Johnson in 1912 in Sacramento. Awesome. California. She served on different committees, and she was just kind of like the perfect candidate to do it. Small business owner. She ran with her husband. And and then Ellie and Mayberry ran in 1960, so, you know, nearly 50 years later. Mm -hmm. So women have been doing it for a while. So it's not totally unheard of that Ellie would be saying, why aren't there women on the council? Yeah. they've been doing it for decades at this point. Yeah. So... Uh, the three women who made it on a presidential ticket were Geraldine Ferraro in 1984, then Sarah Palin in 2008, and then, of course, Hillary Clinton in 2016. So, 1984, first woman on presidential ticket. First woman to run for president, though, was Victoria Woodhull in 1872 in the Equal Rights Party. I do believe I have heard of Miss Victoria Woodhull. Excellent. First woman elected as a mayor in the U.S. was in 1887 in Argonia, Kansas, mm -hmm. and a small town with about 800 residents. 
So I kind of picture that as like a everyone knew Susanna and what a wonderful woman around the town. Only 800 people, you know? A little bit like Mayberry, maybe? Yeah, similar feel. I, what Do they have like a estimated population in Mayberry? Let me Google that. That's a great question. I'm sure somebody's asked that question before. Yeah. Oh, here we go. In the opening scene of Season 8, Episode 30, the last episode, a mm-hmm. sign at the railroad station lists the population and elevation of Mayberry. Population 5,360. Elevation oh. 671. <laughs> However, this is per Wikipedia, so take it with your grain of salt. This mm-hmm. conflicts with the comment made by choir director John Masters to Andy Taylor that there's got to be a decent tenor in a town of 2,000 people in a season four episode. Hmm. And could have doubled. <laughs> well, and in season seven, a character says it's a population of 1,800. Hmm. So... Basically, it could be anywhere from 1,800 to 5,300. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, then 800 residences, that's smaller, but small town feel nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be a really small town, 800. Very tiny. Yeah. That's probably when you got to start looking outside of town to get married because you might be marrying your cousins otherwise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> First woman to run for Congress, Elizabeth Stanton in 1866, ran as an independent in New York. Katie Stanton? Yes. She's a pretty big figure in the history of women's rights. Go her. She did not win, though. She got 24 of the 12,000 votes. Wow. That is... Again, ran before women could vote. Well, that might be a factor. Yeah. So 24 men. We're like, sure, 12,000, no. So 24-week need turncoats, you might say. Yeah. (laughs) Changing that to a compliment. I am for that. (laughs) Woman elected on Congress, Jeanette Rankin of Montana in 1916. First woman to serve in the Senate, Rebecca Felton of Georgia. She was appointed in 1922 to fill a vacancy. She served for two days. Hey, There's got to be a first for everything. Yep, there was a start. (laughs) Two days is better than zero. First woman elected to the Senate, so actually elected, not just filling a vacancy, was Hattie Carraway of Arkansas in 1932. Alrighty. First African-American woman elected to Congress was Shirley Chisholm of New York in 1968. So that was more than 50 years after the first woman was elected to Congress. Wow. So... That took a while. And then the first African-American woman elected to the Senate, Carol Mosley Braun of Illinois in 1992. Wow, that was another few decades. Yeah, super recently. I say super recently because it's within my lifetime. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then we all know Nancy Pelosi in California. First and only woman to serve as Speaker of the House. Twice. 2007, 2011, yep. She's the highest-ranking woman in U.S. political history. Wow. That would make sense because she is right in line for the presidency after president and vice president. Yeah. And then just some other offices we have are the first woman in the cabinet, Frances Perkins, who was appointed as Secretary of Labor in 1933 by FDR. And then first female governor, Nellie Taylor Ross from Wyoming. She won a special election to replace her late husband in 1925. I kind of love that. <laughs> they just elected his wife. That's, I don't know. They're like, hey, you, you must have known what was going on. Why don't you just <laughs> take over? So, anyways, just to kind of give some context around this episode came out, you know, 1960. And by then, a woman had served on the Senate, in Congress. Mayor, I mean, women have held, had held a lot of, uh, elected to the Senate, yeah, had held a lot of offices. In the cabinet. Uh-huh, by the time a woman was running for a councilman seat, which is much smaller than, you know, Senate or Congress. But very critical to a small town, so. Well, and do you remember way back in season one, we talked about the Donna Reed show? 
seem to remember that. Namesake we... of our show. <laughs> yes. We talked about an episode in season five that aired in actually three years after this, 1963, in which Donna Reed runs for council, or Donna, whatever her fake last name is on the show, she runs for council and it kind of freaks out her husband. Right. And he has this terrible nightmare where she goes on to be president of the United States and he's the first man and expected to sew on buttons, etc. <laughs> and she ultimately backs down and says, I won't do it if you're really worried about it. I was only doing it because I thought you wanted me to do it. And once again, you don't need to run for counsel if you don't want to. But it feels like a very different perspective even three years earlier in this Andy Griffith show where he starts off kind of like well it's silly for women to run for council where do you get these silly ideas and he ends up in a place of saying hey I support this Ellie's a pretty great person and I think she would make really great decisions for our town and she ends up getting elected yeah huh I had forgotten about that episode from the Donna Reed show but yeah she ends up backing out. Well, I'm, but it was like her motivation was much different from Ellie's, but it just True. sent a very different message than, than this episode in the Andy Griffith show did. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the idea of, you know, the husband trying to stay home and make breakfast, he's just never going to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. How do you flip an egg? Madness. And there's all this toast burning and things like that while she's out for one day trying to plan council meetings etc yeah it's crazy yeah toasters have settings use them (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so yeah as far as and but what the andy said in the beginning or what who was it was it aunt aunt may not aunt b aunt b Aunt May is Spider-Man's aunt. Yeah, I was like, I know that's from something else. Is it Aunt B who says, oh, we can get with, we can keep up with the big cities? I think she does say something similar to that, yeah. Yeah, which is very accurate because other places were, you know, did have women in elected positions, Mm -hmm. so. Getting with the times. Well, isn't it exciting? The first time in Mayberry a woman ever ran for office? Well, we're growing up like the big cities. Oh, Otis, I hope you're out of jail in time to vote. Well, if you check out the Andy Griffith show and decide you love it, or if you know someone like my dad, or maybe you know my dad, hey, uh, let's be (laughs) friends, and think the Andy Griffith show is something that probably deserves a full-blown experience to live out in a fun setting on the weekend much like Disneyland or something like that well too bad I don't think there's an Andy Griffith world (laughs) at Universal Orlando or at Disney World although you could argue that some of the like small town places at Magic Kingdom are kind of like small town Mayberry just with way more than 5,000 people (laughs) There are a number of opportunities, though, to still celebrate the Andy Griffith show with things like Mayberry Days. Have you heard of Mayberry Days? I have not. (laughs) Well, they are happening actually in multiple places around the country. And just searching for news about the Andy Griffith show, these events keep coming up. There was a Mayberry in the Midwest Festival in Danville, Indiana in May. They had a whistling contest. Really in May? Yeah. A <laughs> trivia contest. A look-alike contest. Also in May, or Mayberry, you might say, there was a Mayberry Memories show in Chattanooga or near Chattanooga. And one that hasn't happened yet. If you are so inclined, you could go in September to Mount Airy, North Carolina, which I think is a... They kind of claim that as... Mayberry is their spiritual town. Hmm. There's an Andy Griffith Museum there. And they are having tons of events like that whistling championship contest. (laughs) 
that they had in Indiana. There is live music, there's a golf tournament, there's dance lessons, a bake sale, an apple peeling contest, a pie eating contest, a trivia, (laughs) several trivia sessions, and a parade. If you love Andy Griffith, this is the place for you. September in North Carolina. We will definitely put information in our Tumblr. Doesn't that just feel, I don't know, not right? If it's not in May, then, I mean, come on, (laughs) play off the pun. I mean, I think it's all about probably time of year. I suspect it's a little cooler in September than in May in North Carolina, but I've never been there, so I cannot say for sure. Yeah. Maybe this is my opportunity to go. Definitely. This is the time to visit. I bet you your dad would completely cover all costs and (laughs) you two could enter contests together. Yeah, we could enter a lookalike contest and see how it goes. We heard how my whistling contest would have gone. (laughs) Nope. Still don't have it. (laughs) Can your dad whistle the theme song? I don't know. I've never asked him. I think, I think I've got you should. an activity this afternoon. <laughs> Speaking of that theme song, I've got some fun facts for you. Super fun fact. We love our fun facts. Yeah, we do. Did you know that cute little whistled tune was written in about 15 minutes? <laughs> the guy who wrote it, he also wrote several other theme songs for TV in that time. He said... I realized what the show needed was a simple tune, so I spent all of 15 minutes writing it. I called my bass player and drummer. We recorded it in a little studio in Hollywood. I whistled the tune myself. (laughs) Cute. And in May, Ron Howard had an interview in the New York Times. They called it a confirm or deny, which basically they would say something and he would either go, yes, that's true, or no, it's not. And the New York Times said, those fishing poles you and Andy Griffith carried in the great opening credit scene of the Andy Griffith show never caught fish. And Ron Howard said, no, unless you count all of the fishing scenes where the prop man had to wade in and put a catfish on the line. (laughs) We were only allowed to put two fish a day in there because it was actually the drinking water for Hollywood. (gasps) And on the opening credit scene shoot, I was only allowed to throw two rocks in the water for the same reason. There was a lot of pressure on that rock toss. I had to get it right. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I love that. And I love that he remembers that from when he was so little. Yeah. How old was he? Hmm, Let's check it out. The Andy Griffith Show started in 1960, and Ron Howard was born in 1954, so he would have been six when this show started. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just a little guy. Oh, yeah. He was stinking cute. <laughs> I'd forgotten that Ron Howard, the director, was Ron Ho- Ron Howard, the child actor. Well, I feel like it's kind of hard to remember, or it makes it easy to forget now that he's kind of an older, bearded, balding guy who <laughs> makes movies with Tom Hanks. Yeah. So, Taylor, are you ready to talk about how this reference fits into the context of Gilmore Girls? I sure hope so. All right. Let, let's do it. So, here's one thing that I like about this reference, is that it is... Now, you might think, okay, Amy Sherman Palladino, she watched Andy Griffith, she thought this insult was funny, throw it in there, great. <laughs> but you'd be wrong. Am I right? <laughs> Uh, I'm a little confused by the construction of what I'm agreeing to or denying, like Ron Howard, confirm or deny, but keep going, keep going with this train of thought. The term turncoat means switching parties, switching loyalties, maybe a sports team comes from supporting leaders or the party that you're with. So, political. That's political. Ellie's running for office. Mm-hmm. Paris and Rory, what are they having issues in? Where did this all begin? In politics. In their student government with mm-hmm. Francie and and the gavel and all that. <laughs> so Secret meetings <laughs> in parking garages. Secret exactly. meetings in bathrooms. Lots of So many meetings. bathroom meetings. <laughs> it's Francie style, man. So, 
This came from an episode where they were debating, where they were, the town was struggling about their upcoming election. That was the argument. And Rory and, and Paris are also buttonheads in their their own political arena. So, anyways. it's It fits. And while we're not really in the Stars Hollow world, I do think Mayberry has a lot of overlap with Stars Hollow of colorful characters, mm-hmm. quirky little situations. I mean... Gilmore Girls is also not a huge plot-heavy show. Uh, Not in exactly the same way as Andy Griffith, but it's a lot of just characters bouncing off of each other. There's one little conflict, and they got to figure out how to resolve it. Mm Mm-hmm. And Chilton is its own microcosm in a way, too. Kind of like (laughs) Mayberry. Well, and, you know, Stars Hollow, their one political episode is when Jackson runs against Taylor... For county selectmen, mm-hmm. because they kind of have like a mayor who pops in, but then there's the selectmen. I don't know how small town politics work. Well, but... and I'm not sure Stars Hollow <laughs> is the place to understand how other places work. <laughs> that is so true. So mm-hmm. they don't really get into that, but it's just more comedic. Any any of their you know their town meetings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but I like that this insult comes from, you know, it's talking about a political debate, and that's how it's used in Gilmore Girls, is mm-hmm. about switching loyalties. And that and that's the other part, is that it's about Barney switching his loyalty from the men to the women, and mm-hmm. all of these insults that were used were switching loyalties. So, Nixon, you know, Nixon, he was, he betrayed the American people, like you said, mm-hmm. and then daughter of Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus. So it's all about that betrayal. And I'm not a hundred percent. I'm still trying to formulate this, but in my mind, there also seems to be a connection with when Paris and Rory, you know, go in to meet with headmaster Charleston and he tries to start guessing what they're arguing about. I love how funny this conversation is. Enough. This behavior will stop this instant. It is disgraceful especially from the political leaders of this campus. Now, I'd like to know what is actually driving this recent rash of infighting. Oh, goody, I get to guess. Well, let's see. Perhaps you're arguing over the same boy? Sure. We're girls, so we could only be arguing about a boy, right? Sexist, white-haired. Harris, are you muttering? No. Sorry. I think Headmaster Charleston is speaking some truth there. Yeah. You know, except for when he's guessing about why they're arguing. (laughs) And immediately goes to a boy. (laughs) Yes. You say something about women running for council? Why not? (laughs) Because one of them might win. (laughs) And why not? They do everywhere else. Apparently, you don't think much of women. Oh, now, Eleanor, you're taking it personal. I am. Oh, well, now that's a silly attitude. Silly? Oh, 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 I didn't mean to say that. No, I didn't mean to say that a bit. It, ju- it just it just slipped right out of my mouth. Here, give it, give it right back to me. Right back. Oh, and it had a bad taste. But it seems like there's some sort of parallel about how Andy Griffith, or I guess Andy Taylor in the show, kind of says, oh, you silly deer. Ha, ha, ha. You get this idea about how you want to run for city council. And she's like, no, I'm completely serious. Don't just, you know, or Paris and Roy going like, don't just say we're arguing over a boy. We have a real beef here. This is a mm-hmm. real conflict. It's not something petty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that is the other way that this really connects is that it's all about gender mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as, you know, in the Andy Griffith show, just upset about. Barney supporting a woman, and then what does Headmaster Charleston do, you know, decades later, mm-hmm. is uh, still just says, oh, it must just be over a boy. What silliness is happening? Mm-hmm. I think, too, though, Headmaster Charleston was probably, he was frustrated that he was having to guess, so I don't mm-hmm. think he was taking it too seriously, so I'm not going to call him a sexist, white-haired, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Well, and maybe he knew... If I start with the most ridiculous thing, maybe they'll finally tell me what it is. Nope, they yeah. didn't cave. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah. So I think Paris secretly loved the Andy Griffith show, and that was part of why she wanted at one point to find the seedy underbelly of Stars Hollow mm, and yes. accuse Luke of running a prostitution ring because she watched the Anna Griffith show and was fascinated by that small town and now wanted to understand Stars Hollow. And we did hear Jess in our little montage earlier say, is this just straight out of the Andy Griffith show? Like, what in the <laughs> world is this? Uh... Yeah, Annie Griffith's show, or Mayberry, Stars Hollow. It's got, they got some similarities. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor? So, Kyla? That's our show? That's our show! Woo! Yay! <laughs> oh, I made it about <laughs> two more notes. Oh, yeah. Keep, keep trying. Keep at it. <laughs> oh, guys, if you think that we're nothing but weak-kneed turncoats... Or perhaps strong-elbowed straitjackets. Let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes. Send us an email. So it's a show at gmail.com with all of your Gilmore Girls mysteries. We're ready to solve them. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a problem, yo, we'll solve it. Check out the hook while our DJ revolves it. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at So It's a Show. Some great gifts. Some great birthday shout-outs to Gilmore Girls actors who sometimes they like our birthday wishes and even tweet back thanks Danny Strong made my day me too so guys just uh, be sure to subscribe tell all your friends and uh, we'll come at you next episode and here's a teaser for that next step are you sure that's the best way to do it yeah, why? Well, it just means you're coming home to an empty house. Well, that's your doing, not mine. Yeah, but it might be kind of lonely here. Did you think about staying at Mom's? Overnight? Yeah. They've got those fancy beds that don't sag, and you're guaranteed a great Norma Desmond-style breakfast the next morning. You don't have school. It works out perfectly. I'd rather just come home. 